From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, it's Brett Bradigan, editor of Ojai's magazines, The Quarterly and Monthly. This episode, our guest is Nick Weissman, executive producer of the exciting new film about the Cuban surf community called Havana Libre. Hey Nick, thanks for joining me. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's very exciting. I watched your movie and it was really a great story arc and you made this, uh, how long, it took you like seven years? Yeah, I think the the whole project lasted about seven years, uh, start to finish. And it was originally, uh, the director, Corey McLean, had read an article about board shaping in Cuba in the New York Times. And they just kind of set out on a surf trip yeah. to just kind of explore it. Well, I saw some of the manufacture going on in a film. Like they took the insulation out of a refrigerator door. And it's just the craftsman or the, I don't know what you call it, call the, uh, the just crazy improvisation it's, it's, you know, that they had to do. It's Cuban ingenuity. It's like one of the amazing things about uh, that country is that people will find a way. And I think, um, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about this film is that when the embargo happened, you know, now five decades ago, the surf culture was really becoming mainstream, was really growing around the world. And it really took, you know, some surf magazines and some tapes to wash up on the shore for people to realize what's possible. And so they started whatever with whatever they could, you know, uh, plywood, you know, pieces of boat, you know, and then yeah. realizing that, you know, the only place you could get styrofoam was in refrigerator doors. And so they started using those. Uh, one of the great scenes in the film is this guy, Juan Pablo, who's one of the main characters that shapes a fin out of a piece of plywood. And he's known around Cuba as the guy that makes the best fins. Yeah. And it's, it's just an incredible thing. So... It must be, that's like a hermetically sealed community of surfers in Cuba because it's officially, well, it isn't necessarily, anything that isn't officially approved is basically prohibited, right? You gotta, you can't ask, you can't beg forgiveness there. You gotta ask permission, right? It's right. I mean, everything is, is a gray area in Cuba and, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the ban, on surfing or the gray area ban on surfing was just this legacy of people, you know, trying to get to the U S through the wet foot, dry foot plot policy. And so they figured if you were building a surfboard that you'd also try and get to, to Miami by that way, float at the balsettos. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, yeah, 90 miles on a surfboard, that would be a, a bit of a stretch for anyone. Maybe Kelly Slater could pull that off. I don't know anyone else. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, so I mean, it's it was really uh, um, uh, to me it was such an amazing metaphor and theme to be, uh, you know, stuck stuck or trapped, you know, surrounded by water on this island, not being able to access something that was just over the horizon, and these great you know brave surfers wanting to just be a part of what was going on around the world and starting as kids with plywood boards and then suddenly learning. You know, and now having access to internet, how to properly do it. Sort of access to internet. It's like some park they have to go to to get a public Wi-Fi signal. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was interesting. I loved all the insights into just the daily life of of the Cubans living in that sort of, I don't want to call it decrepit culture because it's very vibrant, but the buildings are falling down around them. The, it's just got a rundown feeling about it. But the people themselves just full of life. Yeah, I mean, the Cubans are amazing. They're, they have so much love, uh, so much pride. Um, and, and all of that factors so much into this film because such a big part of Cuban culture is their pride in the sport and being pride, you know, in baseball and in basketball and all these other different things that they've, and boxing, things that they've excelled in over the years. And, and for our surfers to say that something is not a sport is, has been such a tough thing for them. And they, you know, only five years ago it was illegal to surf. And now, you know, at, at the beginning of our film, it's suddenly possible because now surfing is an Olympic sport and it's recognized around the world. And it's like, well, we're at all, every other table. Why yeah. can't we be at this table? Too? Well, I, I can imagine if there's a chance that they would win some medals, they would figure out a, the Cuban sports ministry would figure out a way to get get them there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, in 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 typical kind of Cuban government fashion, the first thing that they tried to do was start their own surfing team without the Cuban surfing community. And so yeah. they, they got a bunch of um, uh, uh, sailors from the Navy and said, this is our Cuban surfing team. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, our main characters, especially Yaya, who's a, a young, really amazing uh, community organizer, she, she really took the opportunity to be like, I'm going to make this generation and the next generation of Cuban surfers. And she organized... You know all of these factions yeah, of the teaching. She's mm-hmm. teaching all those kids lined up to surf. That was yeah. very cute. Yeah. So you're on uh, now. You started to take this film out on the festival circuit a couple of years ago, but now we got Santa Barbara Film Festival coming up yeah. imminently. I don't know exactly when this episode will drop, but hopefully before. Um, that's like Friday after next. The or first week of March. It's yeah. It's it's uh, it's uh, Friday the fourth, uh, uh, and we got a great slot, seven twenty p.m. It's going to be a really really great turnout. The festival's very excited about the film. You know, I think it's it's something that's really important to the director as well as the head of programming uh, is, is telling these great uh, stories, um, and we're going to have just like a wonderful turnout. And we tried really hard to get our Cuban surfers out here, but. Um, without an embassy currently in, in Cuba, it made it very difficult. Um, but that's going to kick off. They couldn't float their rafts over or their, right. their surfboards. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, make a break for it. Yeah. When you'll see in the film, when they, when they, uh, got the opportunity to, uh, by the Smithsonian to fly them to Hawaii and to fly them to California to like learn about board shaping and exchange what the knowledge they had. It was like yeah, it was an incredible was experience. One of the key scenes of the movie was, Hanging out with Rob Machado at the yeah. factory. Yeah. That must have been unbelievable for them. I mean, even in that hermetically sealed culture, they must know a lot of these names. Totally. And that, and that you know, when when, when something uh, like a, a videotape of Ma- Rob Machado's uh, trips around the world, like Drifter, the film that they had, you know, that was the one tape that they had. And that was the one dream that they had. And played and, over and over and yeah, over and over. Yeah, and then they get to meet him, and it's just like, it's so incredibly heartwarming. Um, and we'll be going down to uh, to Encinitas on our on our surf tour that starts right after Santa Barbara Film Festival, and hopefully Rob will make an appearance and 
and talk a little bit about the film as well. Yeah, so tell me how this, you mentioned the article in the New York Times about board shaping in Cuba, and then these two filmmakers, how did they, you're the executive producer, you're the one that's actually like the engine I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am one of two producers, uh, and, and my, you know, I've, I've really done a lot of the, the finishing and the uh, post-production tying together. Yeah, the, you're an editor there. as well, right? I am not, not on this one, but I have got yeah. the background as an editor and a DP as well. And, and the, the, you know, the real, the, the original team of this is, um, Corey McLean, Tyler Dunham and Seth Brown. Uh, it was directed by Corey. Uh, produced uh, a lot of the production by Tyler, and then Seth was the DP and the editor, and they were three f- best friends that grew up in Maine as kids, and they always equated this, these Cuban surfers as like them, you know, mirrors of them when they were kids. Yeah, they had except the, with the warm water, You're right? With the warm water, exactly. But posters on their walls of like you know surfboards and famous surfers and uh, endless summer and all these kinds of things, all these things that are just they're, they're worldwide legends now. And to have that connection across uh, the U.S. and Cuba is such a special thing. So how did they, you know, get the first permissions and footage and how did the project take shape? Yeah, well, you know, it, it really, it started with that article. And in that article, Frank, who's actually Frank Gonzalez, who's the main character in the film, um, was down there in Cuba. So when they landed to go on this surf trip, they met up with Frank and they met up with Yaya and they met up with the, uh, uh, the, the whole surf community there. And what started really as like a fun expedition became something that they realized was a much bigger journey. And, yeah. and part of that had to do with um, when Obama really loosened the restrictions on travel to Cuba, uh, they were able to kind of jump on that opportunity and be down there and spend time and live with them for months at a time. Yeah, they put, did they get some kind of a special um, visa? Like yeah. Cultural ambassadorship? Exactly. Sort of yeah, I think it was a mix of cultural ambassadorship, and then it, it, there was definitely a window where you could fly direct from JFK to Miami. to go through Mexico City. Totally. I went to the Bahamas years ago with my wife. It's, you know, it's But it's like it's being in a very different wonderful microcosm of a world um and they they just kept following the story and and it you know the rolling stones came down and performed it was like there was all oh, this yeah. change and I and remember that and it's really it's it's the it's the uh the history of the last you know 50 years of cuba is just always it's changing it's not changing it's changing it's not changing yeah. so for for us we think oh it's all going to be better now and different. And for them, it's like, well, we saw this five years ago. And, and sure enough, towards the end of filming, you know, uh, 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 Trump came in and kind of shut down all of those policies and, and really closed off the country again. So uh, we, we were very lucky to have our window of four or five years to yeah, really capture to that because it would have been a lot of work. I saw, you know, that drone footage was so amazing and the hunt for good surf spots nothing around Havana seemed to have a really consistent break so that was like a journey within the journey yeah to absolutely get, to find a place where they could really count on a good shore a good break you know? uh, absolutely well and there's I think there's some fabled uh, uh, points around Guantanamo Bay that um, somebody gets to surf <laughs> yeah and that, yeah, the Guantanamo Bay section was interesting because I just see the U.S. had that 
coaling station there since like the 1870s or something and it just held on to it and then nothing castro could do to get get that off there it must be like a like a burr in their saddle mm-hmm. oh it's got to be yeah be. absolutely so that was interesting uh, just some of the cultural moments in there and and uh well like even some of the logistical things can you talk about that like get keeping your batteries charged and getting the film in and out and what do they how to tell us what do they shoot it on is it digital you know they shot a lot of it on on these little um i mean it's a great thing about te- the technology now is they shot a lot of it on these little sony a7s cameras they're little compact cameras um you can keep them in a backpack and it looks great it's 4k yeah. footage um you know uh, seth was shooting on like a stabilizer a little handheld stabilizer and and you know to the outside eye, it doesn't look like you're making a documentary. It looks like you're making like a skater film, yeah. uh, you know, with, with some friends. But, you know, they were they were riding boards all around Cuba, you know, uh, Havana with these with this crew and yeah. uh, and getting stuff that, you know, I, I, incredible footage, incredible footage. Like I, you couldn't have dreamed of a of a of a montage going through the streets of Havana on a surfboard I mean, on a skateboard. I mean, it was just it's just magical to watch. Yeah, it really had that sort of, yeah, I don't want to say endless summer vibe to it, but there were parts of it that did, for sure. Yeah. It was just like having a great old time. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the, what got me into the film, when I when I jumped on board about four or five years ago. Yeah, how did that happen exactly? You know, they, they we had become, you know, friends, and they had known that I'd been really... Uh, uh, a fan of Cuba and that Julie and I had spent some time there and they, well, did, well, how did you become friends? When did you first meet them? Uh, my, we met, I met them through um, my business partner, uh, met them at a bar in Venice and mm. they're Mainers, people from Maine kind of find somehow each other, find each other. Easters. Yeah. It's usually at a bar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but or a Red Sox game or a Red Sox game. Yeah. They, they became uh, over like a lobster roll or something, yeah. <laughs> but they, they became super close. And, um, they, they had known that I'd been doing a lot of documentary features and I really love the festival circuit distribution. And we started talking about this film and they showed me one clip and the one clip was from a surf competition in Peru in the film and it's of Frank and he has one board and he has one outfit and he's showing up to this surf competition that he's left Cuba now to compete in. It's an Olympic qualifying event and he's walking to this place. There's all these teams, there's the Chileans, there's Argentinians, they all have their outfits. And Frank is there with his one board and his one outfit. And he says, the line is something like, I felt like a farmer coming to the city and it just kind of like, it just drew me in so quickly. It was like, this is his chance. You know, he, yeah. he is training. He has made it to an Olympic qualifying event. He may not be able to go to go back to Cuba, but this is so important to him that he is here to protect, to participate. Um, and, uh, and that, that was like, well, there's your, you know, there's a, your hook, there's your hook for the film. And, and then it's just, uh, working backwards from there and, and then filling in all the gaps. But, um, you know, I, we have a journey, we have a road trip across the country, I and mean, it's it, the film has just so much. Yeah, it's uh, going to be, you were talking about the distribution, and I know that's a big part of your job. Yeah. How, what, how did that, that work? You've got a distributor, and it's going to be available in April or May? 
So it'll be available March 22nd, March 22nd. on uh, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple, uh, Vudu, Microsoft, Xbox, everywhere with our partner, uh, 1091 Pictures, who I've worked with. I've done three films with. And then that's the first window of the film, and then it'll go to streaming. And we're hoping for like a Netflix or an Apple or something like that. Yeah, if it does well. Mm -hmm. Are you uh, hoping to get pick up some awards on the festival circuit? I sure hope so. I mean, you know, we're we're we've had some really good rumblings with the the you know the festival coming up. Um, you know, my we we've give, been invited to play in Spain. We played in France recently. Um, I think we're just taking a slow, steady movement to really build the attention. Build some word of mouth. Build some word of mouth to build press. Um, you know, we, we, we have... To do uh, the podcast circuit. Do the podcast circuit. Um, yeah, actually coming out this weekend, uh, I think I can say this now because this probably won't come out for a couple of days, but uh, we have a wonderful article that was written by uh, apparently the first professional surfer ever. Uh, who's in, based in Orange County, works in the Orange County Register, and he, he just wrote the most wonderful review of the film. So I think we're trying to come from the documentary traditional world to really, really believe in this film and then really get in the surf community, which is, you know, four million plus around the world. Oh, really? I didn't even know how to put a number to it. That sounds about four million in California alone. I mean, you, you, you might be right. I mean, this is uh, one of our partners on the film is the World Surf League, and they're they're really involved in, in helping us push it out yeah. as well. Are you a surfer? I am. I am. I, I've only, uh, yeah, most, more so since I've been back in California for the past five years, but I, I try and go two or three times a week. And Where's your spot? Uh, I, you know, I, or can't you tell us? No, I could tell you. <laughs> well, I, we, we have a, we have a great office across from C street. So they're um, right there. Yeah. Lunch break. Yeah. Lunch break. Exactly. When it's good. We, Let we pop my out. people surf. Yeah. And we have like, you know, we're so lucky to live in Southern California in a spot that, you know, there are six amazing surf spots within 10 minutes of where we live. Yeah. The Rincon gets a bad rap, though, because a lot of aggressive surfers there. Yeah. Or is it because a lot of newbies show up and ruin the line or something? Yeah, you know, it's I, I've never found it to be that aggressive. I've never, I, I feel like if everybody's good with everybody... Is when all those when those all those Angelinos came up during the pandemic. That's when it got yeah a rowdy, got a little hairy at their Teslas. It was uh, you know the I'm on the board of the Land Conservancy and we had real major issues after the pandemic or during the first stages of lockdown, end of March, April, May, mm -hmm. just inundated. Yeah, I can imagine much the same thing. Along the, yeah, the beaches got closed for a while, so that forced everyone in here. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's incredible to be this close to the ocean. And um, yeah, have your uh, partners been out here to uh, check it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they have there, and they they love it out here as well. Actually, my, one of my partners had a he had a Eurovan that he parked out in front of my house for like like four years, and he would. Uh, Four years. Well, the van was he wasn't in it. But oh. he would he would whenever he came to stay, he would stay in the van instead of the house. He's he was living his van life dreams, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, they certainly love it. But yeah, we've got our, our East Coast office in our in our California. Office. Yeah, tell me about your company, your crew, and how sure. you got started, and what are some of your other projects? Yeah, so I you know I I, uh, I started Vacation Land maybe eight years ago, and we're a, a documentary. 
and commercial production company uh, with an office in New York in the Navy Yard and then an office here in Ventura. And, um, you know, we've done four or five documentary feature films. Um, one of the one of the, the, the more kind of prestigious ones was a film called For Akeem that I, I produced about the juvenile justice system in St. Louis. Um, I spent about uh, four years uh, in, in St. Louis doing the story about kids trying to graduate and make it through in a very difficult situation. That, that film did really well, went to Berlin and uh, it was on PBS and Tribeca. Uh, and, you know, I've been working on Havana Libre for the past four or five years. Uh, we did a film last year for Patagonia that we shot called We the Power. It's about energy co-ops in Europe. Uh, and that film has done a huge virtual tour around the world. Um, I believe it played Mountain Film last year. Yeah, just a, a background. Telluride, Mountain Film, the Land Conservancy brings that to Ojai every year, or used to. I hope, if Tanya, you're listening, that you get that back on the schedule. Yeah. Great fun event. Absolutely. And I'm hoping we do more outdoor screenings in town. It's a good, it's a great yeah. town. Now you have a, a, you have a screening at the Rancho Inn coming up. Is yeah. Right? Well, I don't know how much of, now it's coming up pretty soon right? yeah so next uh next sunday so march 6 we're going to be doing a a screening at the at the chief's peak at the rancho inn um we'll have like a, a we'll have some food provided by little sama we have some little cuban sandwiches and some uh, platanos and uh we're having everybody come out with a blanket and a chair and just watch a watch a great movie yeah that's going to be really fun and that's presented so by, what a uh, dark What's just that? whenever it gets dark, nine o'clock or uh, yeah, I think it's uh, six six to eight. Yeah, and we lose an hour coming up, so keep that in mind. March thirteenth. I'm ready. <laughs> you ready to lose that? Get that hour stolen yeah, from you. I need some more sunshine. <laughs> I want to get. I want to ban daylight stolen time. I hate it so much. <laughs> I grew up on a farm, and it's like you're getting up early enough already, and then they nudge you out of bed like that. I just think it's a relic from. Some, you know, gilded age, screw the worker kind of <laughs> thing. I hate it. I hate daylight stolen time. Are you, so, are you a surfer, Brett? No, I tried a few times. Uh, I fell off a board into about a... No, I, I got tumbled by this, like, big, way too big wave, six, seven, eight feet. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to go down like that. So I turned around. And the, and it was such a the sets were so close, I didn't expect that wave to be up in my face again. So I was able to get the board turned around, and then it just I just fell off the lip of it until about eighteen inches of the water got knocked out cold, washed up on shore. I thought I was dead. My arm was dead when I finally came to. Like I got a nerve pinched, and I got myself to the emergency room. And luckily, is that the first nothing, time you went? Oh no, I've been oh. I've been kind of punking around for every now and then but that's it that was like what 10 years ago i'll never surf again really i don't think maybe i'll boogie board yeah yeah but I, i'm scared of the ocean <laughs> it's serious beast never it, turn your back on yeah, it friends yeah no absolutely. absolutely i do love the fish though i love to get out around the channel islands and yeah those charter boats and it's just such a magnificent area that we live in it's there's, Every day. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing the sun come up over the ocean. Uh, 
So what's your story? Where did you, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get into the business? I, I grew up in LA. Um, my, uh, my family was, a lot, I had a lot of family in the film industry, uh, in, in, uh, in scripted and, and, you know, people that were doing, my, my, my uncle was a sound, uh, sound effects designer. He did like, um, Rambo. Really? <laughs> he did Rambo and he did, uh, he did uh, risky business. Rambo and, first blood. Yeah, uh, and my my another uncle was a, uh, a a special effects director. He did a bunch of great films, and so I kind of definitely got got an itch for it. But I was really interested in documentaries and photojournalism, storytelling. I got a tape when I was uh, twelve that was a National Geographic photographer's VHS, and that kind of set me on a course. And was like, you can get paid to do something like this. Yeah, and uh, and so I went to Brooks locally here. And, um, which and wasn't cheap. I mean, it wasn't no. And I, we were very lucky. We got like a, a Cal grant for, for three years, which helped immensely. And, uh, it was a three year program. And then I met Julia, my wife here, uh, at a barbecue and we, uh, fell in love immediately and we moved to New York together and I, I wanted to be in the journalism world in the center of it. And within about three months, I, uh, I had a job working for, time life uh as an editor okay. uh, and i was working was final cut pro it's final cut pro days yeah and i was working for time people sports illustrated what are um, they what do they call those the original editing bays there was a name for that i can't think well, there of was the lightworks and there was the avid and then avid before that there was the of. steam steinbeck yeah i know that because my parents were editors and they had like the moviola if you remember yeah that. it goes way back um, but yeah, so I, I well, love mad respect for that. Cause I'm an editor too, just different suite of programs. And yeah, it's like, it's where it all comes together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it was just a blast. I mean, I, I was kind of living my dream being able to, to edit and then shoot. And I'd go out on, uh, I finished our, our first feature film, which was the Minutemen that was about border vigilantes along the U.S.-Mexico border. Oh, man, I know all about that. I lived in Cochise County for years. You should watch the film. It's a good one. Yeah. It's not my proudest film, there's but it's a, a good like, one. <laughs> there, there's a crazy dude in Tombstone who really organized some of all that back of Do you remember his 90s. name? If he said it, I'd remember. Oof. But he he started a little newspaper there that kind of became He's in the film. National. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Yeah, but those people, is like, I don't get it. Yeah. My ex-boss had a huge property, 3,000-some acres, that just funneled. You could just look across and see Naco, Arizona, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were going through there, and you go down and, you know, these just the human struggle yeah. and the idea that they go through all this to get here. There's a power to that mm-hmm. and yet then you get shut down i can see you know this eternal conflict like we developed as you know our social settings to resist outsiders because disease and we don't really know their intention so cautiousness and you see that played out on this huge long border now it's mm-hmm. really something yeah yeah i gotta see that project because yeah. i know that area intimately yeah, I'd be really curious, and, and, and you know that 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 film uh, won uh, best documentary at the Brooklyn International Film Festival. Your yeah, first go, yeah, and wow. uh, he got uh, a second prize at the Chicago International Film Festival, and they got some distribution, which was great. Um, and then I I kept making short films for Time Magazine. I went to uh, 
I covered the earthquake in Haiti. I covered some of the Obama oh, wow. campaign. Um, and then, uh, and then I got, uh, offered a job at National Geographic Channel working on, a uh, a show called Doomsday Preppers. So I worked on that for oh, a while. Oh, yeah. That show's got a cult following. Yeah, I, I did the pilot, the first episode of it. It was uh, the hiding, highest ratings in Nat Geo history. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of overlap between uh, Border Vigilantes and the Doomsday Preppers. Yeah, there is. Well, yeah, I think that's part of why we got the job. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that, was a, that was a fun, exciting, eye-opening project. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just and then I started working doing stuff for the New Yorker, short form for them. I did a piece. Oh, really? I have never missed an episode, or issue of the New Yorker in forty years. Is that right? Yeah, it's an incredible, it's incredible magazine. Yeah, it's incredible. I, just, I feel if you're only going to read one magazine, that yeah. has to be the one. It will keep you basically versed and, if not fluent, on just about everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So did you know any of the David Remnick types or Joan Acachella and any of the... I didn't. I had a lot of colleagues that did. Um, I, I was, you know, I was doing uh, independent video film stories. Basically, basically, whenever I wanted to do a story about something, I'd, I'd pitch it to them. And, and uh, we, we've, we've done two shorts for them. Uh, one of them was about uh, the oldest diamond cutter in New York City that I found. Wow. Uh, in the Diamond District. Uh, that was, was he a Lubavitcher? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, he was probably 85. And part of the story was that he had given the first uh, Jewish sermon on Nazi-occupied soil in World War II. They, wow. were, they had just kind of moved in, and you could hear the bombs in the background. And he did this broadcast Jewish sermon on ABC. Um, and then it, it was just, it was a really lovely story. Um, so that was a great piece. Uh, and then we did another one for the New Yorker about telling the story of slavery, which was about um, a uh, a lawyer in New Orleans and a Senegalese researcher that bought a plantation and created a, a museum, like a like a real museum, to the story uh, in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah, and really like alongside all the like kind of you know more glitzy romanticized versions of, of, of New Orleans. This was a very real uh, um, wow, uh, de project. dedication to the story. So that, that was a great... The middle passage. Yeah, so that was a great little short film. Uh, and then most recently, I think we did we did a film uh, called A Wonderful Kingdom that was about uh, the wine region in Portugal that my, my partner oh, Carlos wow. directed. It was really... Did you go? Did you go? Did we, uh... Yeah. Yeah, wow, we, that's a dream you know, job. Yeah, it was, and we stayed at all the quintas, and we stayed at uh, Newport, uh, the quinta, and we uh, we were fed and we drank and we just made a movie. It was it was really wow, what a job! It was really fun. I'm I'm always curious about the financing because mm -hmm, uh, yeah, I know <laughs> there was a great great uh, Elvis Mitchell interview. What's the name of that show? Elvis Mitchell the the business or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, that's not it. Is your W or yeah? But he had Darren Aronofsky on mm -hmm. right after, not long after um, the Natalie Portman one. I didn't know Mila Kunis could act. I didn't know she was, she great. was great. She was great. Yeah. That movie is about as pure an expression of art as I've seen. But Darren Aronofsky is just talking about these. Uh, douchebags at Fox Searchlight that mm -hmm. pulled the plug on him. Yeah. He has had these people, you know, he's two weeks away from their next paycheck and he just had that time to scramble to get yeah. the two million to finish sure. the film. 
Yeah. Darren Aronofsky having yeah. to beg for money. There's something about like absolute desperation that you need to make a good film, apparently. I think you can smell the desperation <laughs> in that film. Yeah. But he got some somehow or another got connected with a group of poker buddies in Texas. Uh-huh. And they did these little projects as part of the fun of the group. Amazing. So if you look at the end credits in Black Swan, it goes on and on and on. And then, and they were just dicking him around the whole time. Like, well, I, my wife says I can't do it unless you give our cat a credit. <laughs> it was like, that's oh amazing. my god, that's amazing. That's Darren Aronofsky. Have you got any stories like that about? Well, we got the we got the uh, you know for the 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 Portugal film. We we it was a total passion project, and so one of the one of my favorite parts of producing is coming up with clever ways like that to find money and in this case we we uh tricked the portuguese tourism board into giving us some yeah. money to fly out there and do it um but yeah no it's well, i it's, don't know if it tricked us the well we, we we convinced them yeah. um but yeah no i mean for the for the the things that do well and the things that are important it's always an uphill battle or it has been an uphill battle and uh whether or not those things make money, it, 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 you know, the prestige and the success of it is like warms my heart more than anything. And, you know, I think, um, uh, as, as a colleague of mine described it, there's just a bunch of weenies in this town and they just kind of like, <laughs> they just don't want to, they don't want to pull the trigger cause they don't want to, um, they want to cover their butts. And, and, and in this case, uh, you know, we're getting closer and closer. There's more financing coming in now. There's more like real budgets coming in, which is a, a huge, a huge thing. But, you know, to be honest, it's really the, a lot of the commercial stuff that we do pays our bills. And then yeah. we, we hustle and we, it's a lot of sweat. That's equity. the word hustle. Yeah. Hustle and hustle. But you know, it's, it's, you get better and better at selling it and better at making it. And uh, the more mm-hmm. successful you get, the more of a safer bet it is. And, and yeah. that, that's, that's all I know so far, but um, uh, it's, it's kind of working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got you. It's got a nice project. Yeah. Havana yeah. Libre. Is, now you said it's going to be out March 26th. March 22nd is the, is March the digital. Release. I'll put that up in the notes. Cool. Great. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we should have a, um, a streamer soon and that's going to be a, a super exciting. Yeah. So, um, just to get back to Ojai, how did you end up here? <clears throat> now, I imagine you knew Ojai from living in Los Angeles. What was your first take on Ojai? What was your first experience? What do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I I, I knew Ojai pretty well when I went to to Ven to Brooks and Ventura, and but when I when I met my wife, um, or you know, when Julie and I were first dating, you know, she lived up in Ojai and. I just gradually just fell in love with this place. I used to go to the hot springs when we were first dating. We used to go to, uh, you know, Bonnie Lou's in town. Or we didn't did, Jules work at uh, Farmer and the Cook? Ju- Julia worked at Farmer <clears throat> and the Cook, and uh, and I, you know, pretend to be like a customer just to go and talk to my girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but we we just we loved uh, transit around here. And then when we moved to New York, we were there for a decade, and we kind of you know said that we 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 move out of that out of new york when we had a, a down payment and a place to go and we'd been all around the world we've been to colombia we've been to cuba we've been to germany all, all these different places and we've always loved this place and we always came back to see our friends here uh, our dear friends nick and fanny here uh 
who started dating at the same time that we did, and we're all friends. Fanny Penny. Fanny and Penny and Nick Ali. Yeah. And they they kind of inadvertently kind of kind of uh, uh, brought us brought us here really, and and we ended up buying a house across the street from Herman the Cook, where we originally yeah. was working when we first met. So you know, it's it's. It's feels been, like a circle. Yeah, it's been five years, and I, I feel you know I, it, it is home, and it feels like home, and and the community just uh, uh, just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, it's changed a lot since the pandemic, and not in a worse way. I don't really know what I think about all this, all these new people. I'm going to give them a chance to settle in, and then we'll see. You know, it's a it's a mix. I think that you know, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of good influences and i think there's a lot of an opportunity for for art to intersect and for economies to intersect yeah i I feel like there's a scale now a synergy uh almost like a tipping point where yeah like athens in 400 bc or something that there's or athens georgia in 1980 like there's a critical mass that's the word Mm -hmm. i'm going for that creative people bunt you know, bundling up projects and bumping up against each other. Sure. And just, it's just fascinates me. I can imagine. It's a, it's eclectic project. and it's exciting. I mean, it's like if, if, uh, I think the more people are, are together and in, in learning about what each other have to offer and, 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 and everybody more than any town I think I've ever been to, people are here to, for the same reasons in in a lot of ways and it's like it's a it's a little bit of escapism it's a little bit of community it's a little bit of creativity it's a lot of values and so i think everybody has that built into them or else they wouldn't want to live here so i i think i think finding where the overlap is and not allowing um uh stubbornness that will always be stubbornness you know yeah well that uh bumper sticker i love so much like Right. Don't change Ohio. Yeah. Let Ohio change you. Yeah. One of my favorite, favorite things, uh, actually just a block away from your office here, is a sign uh, that says all day parking. And it cracks me up because somebody put up a sign that says all day parking. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just <laughs> after living in New York and yeah. in L.A. and stuff, it's just, it's, you know, it's not eight signs that you can't do this and you can't do this, you can't do this. It's like, you know, you can't do here, you can yeah. do it, you know, enjoy it. Yeah, so the documentary world is probably you probably know a lot of the, a lot of players in that business. A ton, a ton, and and what's really exciting is that at this point in my career now, like thirteen years, fourteen years in, like the everybody that were like my young contemporary friends are now getting up to levels where they're doing Netflix shows. My a good friend of mine won uh, won an Oscar last year, and another for one, what was that? Uh, the short film called Colette. Uh, it was, it was a, a, a documentary about a French uh, World War II activist, um, but it was like it was so exciting, you know, starting to see it was another friend won an Oscar year before um, for a short film um, called um, I can't recall the top of my head St. Louis Superman. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm you know I'm just uh, I'm excited to see all these people come up and have successes together, and uh, I, I just want to keep contributing. I mean, when I started. Uh, documentaries were definitely not cool yeah <laughs> and now there's suddenly something that people are interested in oh man in. i love documentaries who's your favorite documentarians um 
I mean, I've always uh, loved Daryl Morris. I think he's an incredible, incredible filmmaker. Um, you think it's the Interrogatron? Is it the people? You know, it's uh, it's. I think the purpose is more that it gets people on the same level as you, and that you can have that that direct interaction. And um, I, I think I think it's an incredible effect. We, we're using that on a feature that we're oh, doing yeah. right now. And it's, it's. Do you feel like you get more candid with people, or more much more candid, much yeah. more candid? And and you as the uh, as the director, you can feel the in between moments better because you're looking right in their eyes. You can feel you know how they're how they're reacting uh, and you can, you can kind of go off tangent in a fun way. So, yeah. Do you find any serendipitous uh, moments in, in that process? Like you came in thinking you got your list of questions or whatever, and then they end up some other place. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the, one of the most recent projects, I can't t- talk too much about it, but, but what the character told us, he's like, Oh yeah, I killed a man. I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> did he have it coming? I guess that's the next question. He, he didn't want. He didn't want to elaborate, but it was, it was. Uh, but he definitely hinted. There's more of a story. He also said that he'd been trampled by an elephant, which I think is actually also true. So it's a, it's a wild character. But but yeah, I think those in between moments are great. Um, yeah. Now I there was uh, another. I'm blanking on his name. The uh, oh Adam Curtis documentary. Those are interesting to me because he does just uses, he just makes that, he edits that together with no, it's all found footage and archival footage and B-roll stuff and and he narrates over the top of it and Mm -hmm. it probably costs almost nothing to make those movies like that. Well, there's there's a series that we're watching right now that's on uh, HBO called How to with John Wilson. Oh my God. Have you watched it? Isn't it amazing? It's amazing and it is just like this, this, uh, loose uh, essay poetry about the things you find. The most mundane things. Mundane things. Scaffolding. Scaffolding. He had a sequence that we watched last night that was just like about, he was saying something about, uh, it was like frown face or a smiley face or a sad face. And he did the whole thing in images of buildings, like facades. Yeah. The Do you remember that? eyes of the buildings. <laughs> it's amazing. But he's like an obsessive, oh, impulsive yeah. I don't want to be in that person. I don't want to be. No, it's got to be bouncing around. Yeah, yeah. He meticulously yeah. puts everything it. in notebooks yeah. and files away all this footage. But right. even being able to sort that to make. It's a lot of keywording. Yeah. <laughs> is that it? Because, oh, my God. I mean, I can't believe some of the footage that he gets. It's yeah. just so random. Just New York City, the, yeah. the life of that town. In it's a such way, a testament to like, you know telling us telling an engaging story with what you have you know, yeah and that's you uh nathan for you is that his first is that where he came out of nathan fielder um, which is a very weird show maybe I, I was just seeing that he had a big he had a short documentary that did really well in 2013 that was about his walk to work in new york uh oh and, man and that, that sounds was, like a perfect john just, wilson project yeah same theme same thing <clears> where it was just like yeah is, I, I love that kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm very interested in kind of bending the rules a little more in the future. Yeah. What else have you been watching that maybe you? I mean, even feature films. I bet you pick up some. There was a beautiful shots and stuff. There was a beautiful film that that was at Sundance this year called Fire of Love, uh, and that film got acquired by Nat Geo for a lot of money. And that was it was a film about um, two French volcanologists. Um, 
from I think the seventies that were in love and traveled around the world studying wow. volcanoes. Oh, interesting! Fantastic film. Um, that was really inspiring because it was poetic. It was, it was a poetic, yeah. beautiful film, and the sound design was out of control. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because Havana Libre has really interesting sound design. Yeah, we were talking about the Pixies. Uh huh. That where's where's my mind? How you had that riff going on and on, and it's like draws you into that movie in a way that you're not you're not going to get it back out. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That, that structure of sound design is so important, especially on a documentary. How did you totally? How did you manage that? Like, this is like, yeah. I mean, a, a huge part of what we really wanted to elevate in the film was the feeling of of being um, surrounded by water and f- feeling trapped and having the waves crash over you and wanting to break through and and uh, and using using the 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 sound of that is the aggression like there are moments in the film when it really there's a struggle and we allowed the waves because as you were saying about surfing surfing can be tranquil it can be dangerous it can be you know uh, challenging and in this case like it, it really is the gateway to the rest of the world for them so we really wanted the water sounds across the film to 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 evoke those different moments and moods there's one one of my most favorite shots in the film is when yaya uh, one of our main characters is introduced and she drops in through through the top of the water and it's just it's just so oh, beautiful yeah. and and having this floating in this this pristine water underneath um uh, underneath the ocean in Cuba is just such a lovely um it's such a lovely moment uh, but yeah we worked with a great sound designer we worked with a wonderful colorist uh, we had a, uh, our, our our musicians down in LA as well so um and the posters are wonderful too, so it's yeah. Now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big I'm, fan of this film. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why you're here. Yeah. That's why we're here. But what about uh, the rights to the music? I never, you know, I keep hearing different stories like, oh, they paid sixty thousand dollars for this song that wasn't even that big of a hit, and yeah, you well, know, how does that how does that work? You know, it uh, kind of goes back to that that the desperation of the filmmaker thing, where it's like you you. Uh, uh, you know, when you when you definitely don't have the deep pockets, you can you can be crafty. And uh, our our team in LA actually had we're very close with the Pixies manager, and we're able to to get 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 uh, approval. I figured it was like Francis X Black gave you the permission himself <laughs> or something. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's just part of the process. But yeah, they're they you know music rights are very complicated because you have uh, sync rights and you have master rights, and you know in some cases you have a lot of musicians as well. But you know the the way that music elevates something makes it so worth it so whenever possible yeah. we try and get uh we had a we had a, a couple we had a whitney houston project a song in one of our other films um and you know a, a lot of like i'll attribute a lot of my knowledge to one another uh, great local filmmaker elizabeth pepin silva who's a incredible oh archivist, yeah i know who she is incredible archivist and an incredible um, a music, music. And she's done surf too. films. She's, she's done, done a ton of surf films, and she actually um, really introduced us to uh, uh, the surf film festival in France that that, that uh, showed the film, even though we couldn't go uh, this last summer. And it did incredibly well. It was a really fun, fun thing. But yeah, Elizabeth is a she's an incredible uh, friend and resource. And anyone else in town that you uh, bump up against that's uh, helped with the, this project or others? 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And uh, on others, I mean, uh, Felix Penny, uh, another yeah. Penny. He's an incredible composer and sound designer. He did the... Uh, His dad, uh, it's Greg. Mm-hmm. Greg, Greg, yeah. who was like the producer for Elton John. And yeah. And if, engineer for... Yep. Big, big acts. Felix, famous. Felix did the sound design on our Patagonia film, uh, as well as some music. There's a track in that uh, that he sings in, and uh, and Fanny sings in as well. Um Amun Levy is fantastic. He's a, a great motion graphics person that I work with a lot. Um, Joel Fox is like amazing. We haven't collaborated on a friend of the pod. Friend, friend of the pod. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, my wife who's amazing, and she's got her, her vortex. My project former creative director of the yeah. Light Quarterly. Yeah, she's she's a she's amazing. She's done been helping me a ton with social media stuff, and she's uh, this this. Um, uh, screening that we're doing at the at the uh, Ohio uh, at the Rancho Inn is is our first kind of vortex event, which I'm very excited yeah. about. So uh, hopefully many more of those to come as well. But, uh, it does feel like Ohio's getting back to normal. A big part of why Ohio's so awesome is coming together in public events. I miss that so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, again, going back to one of the great kind of spirits of this town is that. People will come out for whatever you're doing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, There's, it's such a great Rent a crowd. You have a you have a gallery opening. You have like a backyard screening. You have whatever. People are here to support you, and that's um. There's really there's there's nothing like having a community like that. Yeah, I mean, as a creator, you got to feel like both. You know, the collaboration and the competition. I think both of those keep your sword sharp. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyone in town that uh, you really dislike or hate? Or... <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> we won't go into that. Well, let's go off mic. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering about, uh, you know, the. Yeah, I hate to bring this question. We had um, Jason Siegel do a screening of the end of the tour. Before, at Matillaha like five or six years ago and he was like taking questions from the audience and somebody <clears throat> said well, what are you working on next and he's like oh man you know I just finished this project can you give me a moment <laughs> <laughs> and I was afraid of that so with that preface yeah what what are you working on now um uh, I can't talk about two of them but um what can I talk about <laughs> I um I have been really uh trying to make this really great scripted series for a few years uh that is very poignant at the moment but is probably not going to get picked up because of the moment. So uh it's a film called Skyhawk. Uh it's a series actually called Skyhawk that's about uh a West German teenager that flew a Cessna Oh, I remember this into the Kremlin, into, into the, the Kremlin, Red Square, landed at Red Square, and so I've been kind of developing Matthias that. something, Matthias Rust, yeah, and so I've been I've been developing that project for probably about eight years now. And, yeah, and well, what, so you've done a lot of research on that. I'm fascinated. What was his, what was going on in that kid's head? He was like 16, right? Yeah, yeah, he was he was 17 years old. He was going on his first solo trip, and he uh, basically took a plane that he had been training in and he flew it uh, 
to the Faroe Islands and then up to Helsinki. And then he decided to basically fly directly to Moscow over 500 miles. And uh, he uh, was underneath the, well, there's so much to the story. It was National Border Guards Day. So all the, yeah. all the, uh, all the Soviet um, guards were, were drunk. And uh, did he know that? No. And uh, he also like, didn't know that the, that the, there was a ring of steel anti-aircraft missile thing. He, he There's so much that he didn't know. <laughs> and at one point, he's intercepted by MiG jets along this yeah. flight. And uh, he, despite all that, despite the cold, because the, the, there was no heat in it, he, he pressed on. He brought uh, like a packet of um, uh, postcards of landmarks that he knew how to get there. and he Oh, wow, what a way to navigate. Insane, insane. And he didn't bring enough chocolate. Or he didn't bring enough food, so all he had was chocolate to eat. And he landed in Red Square, and it was a shot heard around the world. And yeah, it was a crack in the Iron Curtain. It was a crack in the Iron Curtain. And then two weeks later... Um, this is like 1980-something. 1980 and then two weeks later, um, Reagan makes his uh, uh, Bring Down This Wall speech. Uh, and... Uh, and and at the very beginning of it, 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 basically everybody thought that he could have been a spy. And and what's yeah. fascinating to me about the project is that for the Soviet Union, it was so much worse if it turned out that he was just a kid. I bet. And so it's Had, it's has there been some, you know, the spy craft involved, and yeah. it'd make more sense. But yeah. the idea that they their 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 pull their heartbeat to the very center of their yeah. culture yeah. was infiltrated by a mere teenager yeah. must have been really hard for them to suck up totally no it's 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 like you know a project that i uh it's the one that's like you know at some point i feel like every director producer does an interview and they ask how long you've been working on it. it's like most of my life yeah <laughs> this one i just keep i keep working on and just and so every day or every few days you dust it off and exactly push it forward a exactly. little bit and actually we, we shot a we shot a, a during the pandemic we shot a a teaser and we went out to uh santa paula airport oh yeah and we got a plane <laughs> and we cast a guy that looked like him and shot i'll show it to you afterwards it's pretty great yeah fun yeah so I guess that's about it. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about We're coming up on an hour? No, I, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that, that, you know, for everything you do and the quarterly and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really, this is just a great community and I want to contribute to, um, anything I can here. And, and, and especially the environmental stuff. I think, I think I want everybody to be really conscious of what we can do on our scale with the environment and protecting well, our oceans. Oh, I can be a model can be an example it really can it really yeah. can yeah and 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 the institutions that we have here i know this is totally off tangent but the institutions we have here the land conservancy sea frog the los padres forest watch mm -hmm. um the environmental defense center the green coalition the surf rider foundation like it's a, it's a shame that we have are, are in a place in our in our in our world where we need to have so many organizations to protect yeah. it but you know what we have them and i i'm very proud of them here that's 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 a lot of the short form stuff that I do to keep yeah. uh, to to keep sane and, and contribute. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. It's yeah, been great fun. Thank you. Just thinking out loud, my really fun discussion with Nick uh, prompted me to reflect more widely on the 
sheer volume of creative talent that we have in Ojai, population of fewer than 7,500 people, maybe fewer than 21,000 in the entire valley. And yet, I don't even want to get started on the list, but imagine if there were a project that could bring together all of these talents, world-class talents, that we could create in Ojai. I wonder what that project would look like. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.